0: All while saving businesses billions—that's Wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. Come in. Welcome. I'm EG Marshall. The thought has been phrased many ways. Sir Walter Scott's will serve for this story. But come he slow or come he fast, it is but death who comes at last. A statement we all have to accept, but how few of us risk it coming fast. Which brings us to this story of a headstrong girl named Valerie Reynolds, who for her own mysterious reasons refused to heed all warning of danger from the man she should have listened to before all others.
1: Jeff, will you mind your own business? I'm going back to the inn and Herr Dawn is driving me there.
2: Get out of that car, now. I'm warning you.
1: Warning me? Of what?
2: Okay. You asked for it. This character you're chasing around with... Is...
1: Chasing around? I- I've had it. Let's go, Hendrick. I'm not going to listen to any more.
2: You'll listen. Lay off this guy if you know what's good for you. He's a... Murderer.
0: Our mystery drama, The Mills of the Gods, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin, and stars Joan Copeland and Tony Roberts. On WABC. Paris in the summer is just as gay and just as lovely as the spring. But like most big cities, it is hot. And it is crowded. Not so much with Parisians as with tourists. The bulk of them, as always, American. But there are other Americans in Paris, too. And if they are old hands looking for a familiar face, they head down the Boulevard Saint-Germain at the aperitif time for Les Dermagots the sidewalk cafe that is the crossroads of the world.
2: Dick! Jeff! I can't believe it! <laughs> you're the last person I expected to find here. You. And you're the last I expected to see. Why? <laughs> Didn't Val tell you? What? <laughs> Murder it's possible Just let me get something cool. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Val tell me? Yeah, but I was coming back from the Mideast. Oh, well, she couldn't very well.
3: Neither one of us have been in Paris. I've gone to Antibes for a week to get out of the heat, and Val left nearly a
2: week before me. Left? For where? Oh, some little hotel at Skeveningen. Den Haan? Yeah. Holland? Hey, but that doesn't make sense. What do you mean? Yeah, but I've been writing her every day, and I've gotten replies. and They were all postmarked from Paris here. Oh. I thought she was at the flat. What'd she go to Holland for? Oh,
3: I don't know. Get away from the heat, I suppose, and Skivenigan's got a gorgeous beach. Yeah, but she doesn't have any friends there. Look, my sister has
2: friends Ooh. everywhere, and she didn't expect you to bust out for at least a month. Huh. Roving TV correspondents are about as reliable as the weather report. I know. Except, uh, I have big news. I'm, I'm going home to the States to be second banana on the uh, New York WBS team. Ah. <laughs> I'm a success at long last, and I I, uh, I came back with wedding bells jangling in my ears. Well, you know, she's going to flip when she finds out she wasn't here to greet you. Have you got a phone number? No. Ah, wait a minute, Larry. Me... If we get back to the apartment, I can give you her address, and you can write her. I'm going to do a hell of a lot more than that brother in law to be. I'm going to go join her at Skiviningen just as fast as I get that address from you. There's something out of whack about this whole thing. You'd have to know Val as well as I do to understand why I was worried. I mean really worried. First off, she's the most honest, open person I've ever known. Sometimes too much for her own good. And then she's reckless with herself. I mean, you don't become one of her one of the world's top downhill skiers with two Olympics behind you without being that. And that's where I met her, skiing. Of course, I'm not in her class. That's skiing anyway. Also, she's rich. I mean, really rich, which is the only thing... Well, it's the main one, anyway, that's held up our marriage. But there are a lot of guys in Europe who don't have the same scruples and are after rich wives who also happen to be beautiful. And last of all, I'd been away from her for too long. (laughs)
3: least the concierge cleared up the mystery about the letters.
2: Uh, he didn't clear it up at all. He only made it worse. Why would Val have been sending him letters in an envelope addressed to him to mail to me as though they came from Paris? Oh, I don't know. You got me. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, look, just give me that address so I can find out. Right, right.
3: It's right here on my desk somewhere. Oh, what's that? oh this desk. Yes, yes, here it is. Hotel Maduro Say. Now, why couldn't I remember that? Any idea where this hotel is? Oh, no. Beach stretches for miles. Most of it's lined with them. Why don't we try calling her? It must have a phone. No. Jeff,
2: look, um, nothing's gone sour between you two, has it? Not as far as I know. But there's something about the picture I don't quite like. One thing about your sister, she kind of stands out in a crowd... It won't be hard to find. The hotel turned out to be small and far to the south. But it led me to where I'm standing now, on a sand dune just outside Zanbort. It's a high, clean summer day with bright sun and glorious blue skies. But for me, everything's outlined in burning red. And the sand stings against my eyes. For at this moment, now, I'm watching the woman I love, Valerie Reynolds. The afternoon sun silhouettes all the long, clean lines of figure, tall and slim next to the big, powerful, bearded man beside her. And then, as I watch in what seems agonizing slow motion, they turn towards each other, and I see Valerie, my Val, take his hand.
3: Valerie. Yes, Henry. You are so incredibly lovely. Desirable. I adore you and you are
1: perfection.
3: But, but you know that.
1: (laughs) Oddly. If I were perfection, I wouldn't be a real flesh and blood woman. And if I weren't a woman, how could I be in love?
3: With me. Oh,
1: please. Let me go, Hendrik.
3: Why have I have I said something wrong? Done something?
1: Oh, scarcely. At least not yet.
3: Then why? Why do you resist? Ah, how stupid of me! Of course, I have been in too great a hurry, rushing things. It is a matter of time, no?
1: <laughs> no, is right. It is more a matter of tide since we're not dressed to swim. How? Oh. The next wave, or at least the following one, and we'll really get our feet wet. Now, if we don't move, the tide's coming in fast. Shall we go? Yeah,
3: you are right. And it is the next. Run, Valerie, run. I'll
1: race you to the dune.
3: <laughs> and if if I catch you?
1: <laughs> As we old Yankees say, first catch your fish and then... Oh, oh.
3: Are, you, are you all right? Did, oh. did you turn your ankle?
1: No, no, I'm fine. I just stepped in a hole... Would
3: you help me up no, no, I, I have a better idea. Look, we are beyond the tide line. I'll join you. Sit beside you. Ah, oh, the sand is warm. The sky is so blue. Maybe I will just lie here a moment. How beautiful you are.
1: <laughs> Between the wind and the sand, I'll bet.
3: <laughs> like some Greek nymph washed shoreward by the restless sea. Mm.
1: Love words. Challenging. Enticing. Like your music.
3: You make more music for me than I ever can from the piano. My words are all of love. We were speaking of love, remember? Yes, yes. And my question still remains unanswered. I love... Who you? I love the sea, the dunes, and the feel of the sand warm against my back, and the wind washing the sun gently across my face. What do you think has brought me here every day, away from the beach crowds at Sveningen? The noise, the laughter, the parties? You still haven't answered me.
1: Men... And the eternal question... No, 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 don't, don't say anything, Henry. Let me. I came here that first day because I love the dunes and the sand and the sea and the silence. And then, walking along the sea's edge, the wind brought me to your music. A real siren song drifting on an offshore breeze from your old windmill. And I crept into the shadow of the dunes to listen. Transfixed. Unseen. A little drunk on the music you can coax from that piano. No, no.
3: Not unseen. I saw you come day after day.
1: My feet and my heart kept leading me back.
3: I wanted to call to you, to come to you. But each time when I left the piano, by the time I reached the ground floor and onto the beach, you had vanished. <laughs> Almost like a dream. Until today. When I left, you
1: were waiting And we said hello And walked towards the water And suddenly we were hand in hand Yes I am in love With me Well for the moment in love with love Isn't that enough?
3: If we could start to find out Kiss me No Why not?
1: This is a little public isn't it?
3: There's no one to see Or care about us.
1: I'm afraid you're wrong. Way down there, up on the dunes, the two figures.
3: Where? Oh, yes. Yes, you are right. (laughs) But why should they care anything about us?
1: I'm sure they don't. But what we have, I care about. It is for us alone.
3: Don't get up. Don't leave.
1: Today I must. You and I, we will make a private meeting. Just... For the two of us, where we will be alone. Walk me to my car.
2: Far away from the dunes, I've watched Val and this man. And I don't need to hear any words to know it's a love scene. It's there in every gesture, in every move. I'm sick to my stomach with disbelief. I never dreamed that I would really have lost Val to another man. And for the first time in my life now, I have the unbearable feeling of being absolutely alone. Uh, the lady is a friend of yours. There's a voice out of nowhere, and I turn. It belongs to a small man in an ill-fitting, old-fashioned English walking suit. A pair of binoculars in his eyes. He lowers them and comes towards me. Limping slightly on his right leg as he repeats.
3: Uh, Mille pardon if I intrude, but uh, the lady is a friend of
2: yours? Yes. Huh. Under the circumstances, maybe I should say was. Ah. L'amour, monsieur. Man's escape from
3: reality. The great illusion. What? The trap. Love. It is a veritable trap. Uh, Monsieur will observe that uh, I am a bachelor. So? The only
2: safe condition. Monsieur, uh, do me a favor. But of course. Would you mind taking yourself and the philosophy course and blow? Uh, blow? Scram, make yourself scarce. Allez-vous-en. Oh,
3: yes, 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 of course. Uh,
2: But first, monsieur,
3: just one more thing.
2: Your young lady... She needs help. Not from me. Not this time. Not ever again. She made this bed herself, so let her lie in it.
3: Even if she is in grave danger? What danger? This man. Take it from me, I know. To my certain knowledge, he is responsible for the deaths of at least three young women. In short, monsieur, this is not a man. He is a murderer.
2: He looks up at me, this little man who has materialized beside me from nowhere, his eyes quizzical and as brightly black as a bird's. I have no idea who he is, but something about him somehow makes me know that he's telling me the truth. And suddenly I find myself running across the dunes, running to intercept them and ready to do battle with this stranger who has
0: stolen my love from me. Well now, here's a nice tangled little web to unweave, with all the classic six questions on murder. Who is the little man with the limp? What is Hendrik van Dorn after? Why has Valerie forgotten the man she so recently planned to marry? How is the murder to be accomplished, if indeed it is planned, and where will it be or when? I'll return shortly with act 2. To me. As Valerie and the big bearded man walk slowly along uh, the beach, up on, and over the dunes, they are slanting away from the running Jeff, unaware of his approach. Then, as they clamber up to the road on top of the dike, Hendrick is obviously urging her back to his windmill. But Valerie turns resolutely towards her small sports car, parked precariously on the inner edge of the dyke.
3: But I want to show you the inside of my hide, uh, my sanctuary. Come to my studio. Inside the windmill, I will play for you.
1: I'm dying to see your studio and the inside of the mill. Uh, Today I have a luncheon appointment at my hotel, and I must get back.
3: Then allow me to drive you there.
1: Oh, no, I wouldn't think of it. It must be two or three miles.
3: It is a lovely day and I enjoy a good walk back or exercise.
1: Am I that important to you?
3: Oh, 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 in fact, I shall insist, unless you can assure me that I don't have a rival.
1: Oh, I can assure you, Hendrik, you have no rival. There's no one I'm more interested in than you. And
3: uh, when can we be alone together?
1: Shall we make it Sunday, two days from?
2: well.
3: Here comes a young man in a hurry. He seems to know you.
2: Well, darling, wait.
3: Well, why don't you wait for him? He seems to know you very well. I thought you said... Shh.
1: Well, for heaven's sakes, Jeff Garrett. <laughs> Where on earth did you pop up from? What are you doing here?
2: A few minutes ago, I was... But I was asking myself.
1: Well, this is a surprise. <clears throat> How are you? You're looking well?
2: Frankly, I wish I hadn't been...
1: Hadn't been what?
2: Looking well at the two of you.
1: Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't believe you two have met. Hendrick, this is Mr. Jeff Garrett, roving TV correspondent for world broadcasting back in the States. A very brilliant young man. Uh, uh, Jeff, this is an equally brilliant pianist, Hendrik Van Dorn.
2: Pleasure to meet you. I'm glad you think so. Well, the pleasure isn't returned. Jeff! Move <laughs> over, Val. I'm driving you back to the hotel. Uh, just a moment. Uh, I believe
3: you are Mr. Austin. Austin. I think Miss Reynolds prefers to have me drive her
2: there. Not on your life, bud. Jack,
1: what's the matter with you? Have you lost your mind?
2: It seems to be about the one thing I haven't lost.
1: Don't talk silly.
2: Then you stop acting that way.
1: I think you're the one who's acting out of turn. In what way? As if you owned me.
2: Haven't I been given every reason to think so?
1: Oh, all right, that's enough. I'm going back to the hotel, and Herr Fundorn is driving me.
2: Get out of that car, or move over. I'm warning you.
1: Warning me of what?
2: This character you're, uh, amusing yourself with.
1: Amusing myself? Okay, brother, I'm not listening to any more.
2: Oh, you'll listen to this. Now lay off this guy if you know what's good for you. He's a murderer. Oh,
1: well now that really tears it. Hendrick, please, get in the car.
2: If you don't believe me, look at his face. If that doesn't convince you, ask... Get
1: in, Hendrick. Ask who, Jeff?
2: A little guy back there. The one with the limp. Hey. What happened to him? Where'd he disappear to?
1: I don't know, but I suggest wherever it was, you've been there, too. Oh, wait a minute, Val. Now, why don't you pay attention to me, you fool? Get away from me. There's never been anything between us, and I, n- I I never want to see you again.
2: That's really the way you want it?
1: How else? That's just the way I want it. You've almost spoiled everything for me. Please, let's go, Hendrick.
2: Your
3: wish is my command. <laughs> Well, Henry. I thought you said there was no one else. There isn't. And this uh, Jeff. He seemed to think... Oh,
1: he's a fool. He follows me everywhere. <laughs> he has this big thing for me. I can't get rid of him. He's just a drag. I, I mean, he's a nuisance. He-, he doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah,
3: but from the things he said, the way he spoke...
1: I told you, he's a fool. Uh,
3: so, bon. Well. So, I am still to expect you on Sunday...
1: Of course. What could have changed
3: that? Many things.
1: But I've told you that he doesn't oh, yes, mean it. Yes,
3: the American. <laughs> well, I've forgotten about him, but but not something he said.
1: What, Henry?
3: Valerie, that is not my real name. You see, what your uh, your countrymen said of me is is in a way true. Three months ago, I was tried for the murder of my wife in Paris. I am French. My real name is Jean Rochelle.
1: I know. And you were acquitted.
3: You... But of course. It was quite a lurid trial. What you would say in America, a three-ring circus. I suppose you must have read of it. I did. And still you are not afraid of me?
1: I came to Paris for the end of the trial. I saw you in the court and I... You literally swept me off my feet. I knew you were innocent. You knew? That was what the court found you. She shot herself accidentally, didn't Yes.
3: Yes, poor, poor Eve. For a long while, I felt it was my fault that I should have left her. A loaded gun while I was away for a few days was stupid of me. I was only anxious to... to protect. I adored her beyond life. Everyone knew that.
1: Every woman in that courtroom did. Everyone was on your side. Oh, oh,
3: not not everyone. One is tried, placed in the dock. And the stigma still clings. That's why I fled here to Holland. My <laughs> a lonely windmill retreat where we had been so happy together. I thought this <laughs> this beard would help to too. But even here, I am found out, and the gossip will begin again.
1: I won't start it.
3: Thank you. I'm surprised you recognized me.
1: <laughs> you could never hide from me, Hendrik. You see, I use your new name for a new life. When I found you on the beach and recognized you, I... I felt perhaps we could start one together and make this one a good one. Valerie.
3: Valerie. I said I loved my wife but I feel now I never knew what love meant till I met you
1: We'll find out But here's the hotel, Henrik I hate to think of that long walk back for you
3: uh, A dream I will be walking on air Bonjour, Uh, mademoiselle Reynolds. Excuse, you will pardon my presence in your room uninvited, I hope.
1: How did you get in here?
3: Uh, In my profession, one has ways. Unofficial sometimes, but as you see, effective. huh? Who are you? Uh, Permit me to introduce myself, Inspector Michel Beauvais, Paris Police. Uh, My credentials here.
1: Oh, the surety. Uh Of course, the little man with the limp. Pardon you were the one who told Jeff that Hendrik was a. Oh,
3: that Hendrik Van Dorn, as he calls himself, was a murderer. Correct.
1: But why did you disappear?
3: Well, one must observe, Mademoiselle, that I am known to this man. He must not see me, but it is of the utmost importance that I see you. Therefore, my unwarranted presence in your room. You see, we must talk together, you and I.
1: What is it we have to talk about?
3: Oh, about your safety. And a very dangerous man. Hendrik. Hendrik.
1: Why so dangerous? Didn't you police acquit him? Uh Uh-uh.
3: The courts, mademoiselle, not the police. And only this murder.
1: There have been others?
3: Uh, Alors, I have only admiration for you. But let me tell you of this man. He has a magnificent talent for the piano. Vraiment? And he is an heroic figure, sans doute. For years, he has used these gifts to trap, shall we say, at the least, trusting women. First, money and jewels, and when that is not enough, marriage, settlements that make him the one to inherit. And then, unfortunate accidents. Three times that we know of. He has been married three times, a grieving widower. And each time, he is left richer than before.
1: But that's incredible. Why haven't the police managed to...
3: Uh, But the police, mademoiselle, unlike Hendrick or Jean Rochelle, or however you call him, are only human. He is very uh, careful. This last time we actually thought we had him trapped, but enfin, alas, he slipped our noose again. Ah. What matters is that I am here to warn you. He is a vicious murderer.
1: You don't have to warn me. I know.
3: Ah, you
1: know? Now it is my turn to talk, Inspector. You see, this last wife of his, Eve Stallings, was one of my best and closest friends. We grew up together. We went to the same schools. We skied together. We we were as close as sisters. Now, I was back in America because my father was very ill, but I knew that Eve had flipped over this Jean Rochelle. And it wasn't until I was coming out of the sadness after my father's death that I heard about her death and the trial. I left for Paris immediately.
3: But why?
1: Because I wanted to be a witness. I knew Eve could never have killed herself.
3: Oh. So you believe, as I do, that this was no accident. Knowing that, how can you risk your life with this man you believe murdered your friend?
1: He likes attractive, young and rich women. I am young, I'm attractive enough, and unreasonably rich.
3: Huh? And you had some idea of... Taking the law into your own hands?
1: I I can't tell you exactly what I had in mind. But I knew from a letter I'd gotten from Eve that they had this little hideout in an old mill at, at Sunfort. Uh-huh. And the authorities seemed to be letting this louse get away with it. So while I was waiting for the man that I love to return from the Middle East, I thought I'd try to measure up for Eve's sake.
3: Mm-hmm. What was your plan,
1: rope him in if I could first, and then... And then what?
3: When the whole Paris Sûreté, the police, had failed, how did you hope to succeed?
1: Well, I might be able to make him confess the truth.
3: <laughs> could we not work together, you and I?
1: That brings me to a question of my own. What are you doing here? Ah.
3: Uh, Like you, I am unsatisfied by the turn that justice has taken. Besides, it is my vacation. I am a bachelor. I have no ties.
1: But no jurisdiction here in Holland. No, no,
3: none. My hopes are as flimsy as yours. Until now, we have met. Now, I think together, we could trap him if you would risk it. I do not think you have to fear him so much if... You are not married to him.
1: Married to him? (laughs) I don't think that's Hendrick's general notion.
3: Oh, but of course it is. Do not delude yourself for a moment. He has not recognized you. You satisfy the two cravings of his soul. Soul, if he can be said to have one. What? You are very beautiful and very rich. Parbleu, you are the perfect piece of cheese to catch a... Uh, Mademoiselle will uh, come on be, forgive the figure of speech eh?
1: if I looked strange it wasn't because of that it was Jeff ah, the
3: Ed Strong young
1: man I met earlier huh? I've heard him so terribly how can I find him to explain don't
3: worry don't worry you must allow me to do that
1: no no no, no. I want to do it myself now,
3: trust my instinct in this please for once it would be better for a policeman to do it than a woman, even one so desirable as you. (laughs) Now, let us make our plans together how we must trap this rat.
0: So now, all of our questions have been answered except how, or if, a murder is to be committed. Or rather, how it may be prevented if the rat is not deceived by either the lure or the trap. As I said in the beginning, this is a story of a headstrong girl. Let's hope she is strong enough not to lose her head. I'll return in a moment with Act Three. It's Sunday at the old windmill on the beach, a day of peace and quiet and tranquility. The breeze off the water under cloudless skies is less than five knots. Outside, the veins stand fixed, unmoving. Inside, although the owner is not presently there, there is considerable activity in the top or attic floor. Oh, okay, Inspector. Uh,
2: Look, here are your microphone wires.
3: Uh, Lead them over here to the receiver.
2: I don't know why I ever agreed to this with you and Val. No wonder she was afraid to let me know what she was up to. It's crazy. Oh,
3: why, Monsieur Chef, it is perfect. Here we are on the third floor of the windmill. Exactly below us is Hendrick's living quarters, which, as soon as I attach, uh, these last wires are totally... uh, (coughs) bugged. And if there is any danger... We are one flight of stairs away.
2: It's my girl who might be in danger. It's not yours.
3: But she is uh, armed, and so are we. Today, he is not interested in money, or jewels, or annuities. The factors of his own peculiar profession. Today, he's only for the woman herself.
2: For love. Yeah, well, that, that gives my morale a real lift. Is this electronic apparatus really going to work? Oh, you should know. You are on the TV. I'm on
3: camera, not off. I'm no engineer. Ah, be of good heart. Why don't you descend for a moment and make a test so I can be sure?
2: Yeah, you're too right. This has got to be it.
3: All right. Now say something not too loud.
2: Uh, I'm standing in the middle of the room Near the piano
3: Uh, walk around the walls Keep talking
2: One, two, three Testing, testing, testing I hold the aerial of armor in the del can, <laughs> can you read me? And if you can't, why the blip, blip, blip Can't you for the love of blip? You read me?
3: Perfectement Come upstairs now and close the door at the bottom. Well, it works. Oh, like a charm. And you sing very well.
2: <laughs> Look at the time. Check and see if they are coming. They should be here any minute. Do you see any cars on the dike? It's kind of hard to see. Uh, One arm of the damn windmill stretches right across the window. But you can see through the weather vanes. Sort of. Uh-oh. What is it? it? looks like his car. Ah. Yep. They're almost here. Eh bien, from now on, we must be as quiet as the grave. Check. I just wish as long as you're showing off your English, you'd picked another figure of speech.
3: Enter my castle, Valerie.
1: Oh, it is like a castle. Medieval. The dark tower. <laughs> well, what's this? The dungeon?
3: Oh, nothing so terrible. This is where they put the flour in the bags.
1: Uh, and, and that great wooden chute that comes down from the ceiling?
3: The millstones ground the grain and fed it down. That chute oh. as flour to be
1: bagged. Oh, it's a strange musty smell. Oh,
3: upstairs. We will be away from it. Come, uh, come. Uh, uh, there are hundreds of old flour bags dried out and rotting away, I Keep meaning to have them moved. They are a real fire hazard. Oh,
1: these stairs! <laughs> They're never ending.
3: Uh, I must apologize oh. for my strange quarters.
1: I think it's exciting. It's romantic. Uh,
3: oh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> uh, this is my studio and my living quarters. You will find it more tolerable, I think.
1: Oh. Oh, it's so wonderful. And how unique. So those are the millstones. Ooh, this one from floor to ceiling. It must weigh tons. How does it work?
3: Well, there used to be a grain elevator that brought the rough grain up here and threw a chute so it passed between the big turning stone and the other beneath it on the floor. I cleared everything out but the stones.
1: Oh, did the stones still turn?
0: Oh,
3: I'm afraid not anymore. The sails are long ago rotted out from the veins. Uh, you know the big mm. up that caught the wind?
1: Mm.
3: And the machinery is old and rusty.
1: Oh, it's just... it's fascinating.
3: I'm glad you find it so. You don't? That was yesterday. I am more interested in today. <laughs> I find you much more fascinating
1: in time, Hendrik. In good time.
3: Yes, but uh, I promised to play for you. What would you like to hear?
1: I leave that up to you. Play as you feel.
3: As you to feel. Then it must be this. <laughs> Come down there, Inspector, for the love of. There is nothing to worry about as long as he is playing the piano. I can't stand it. I mean, uh, we've got to do something. We are, Monsieur. Oh. We are waiting. Well, how long? Who knows? The trap is bedded. We are waiting for the rat to make himself ready to bite. Oh. The music. The... You, Valerie. I adore you. Beyond reason. And I have to know...
1: To know what?
3: What I asked you on the beach two days ago. Do you love me?
1: Well, that's so hard to answer. Why? Well, I don't know if I could ever be satisfied with second best.
3: What do you mean, second best?
1: Your wife... I read the transcript of the trial. I was there, and you yourself told me. Hunter? You said you loved her completely. How can you... How can any man who has loved like that ever love completely again?
3: Is that all that stands between us?
1: Isn't it enough?
3: We are alone. Supposing I were to tell you... Supposing I were to tell you the truth. That I hated her. That I couldn't stand her. But you said that While you... I was on trial, I could scarcely admit it. But it's true loathed her. I was trapped. She was like a stone round my neck.
1: You almost sound as if...
3: As if I had actually murdered her. I
1: didn't say that. But
3: that's what you meant. If I had a wife and she stood between you and me and there was no other way out but murder, I would do it for you.
1: You would kill her? Shoot her?
3: Anything. Anything to possess you.
1: No, no, no Henry, please. You're too demanding. Please wait.
3: Wait, what for? You and I, we have something beyond this world. An excitement beyond bearing. Well,
1: when I see you like this, I almost believe you would dare anything. Anything.
3: Anything.
1: You did kill her. You killed your wife Eve, didn't you? All
3: right. If that is what you have to know, yes. Yes, I killed her. That is what you needed to know, wasn't it? That's
1: what I had to know.
3: Had to No, don't touch that handbag. You're hurting me. Give me that bag. A gun.
1: Jeff! Inspector, he had my gun! A trap! Open. You
3: tried to catch me! The door and this bar that holds it are of solid oak, oh. Valerie. Your inspector and your boyfriend Can hammer at it for a thousand years Without so much as shaking it
1: It's no use, Hendrick They have your confession recorded
3: Small good it will do them
1: What are you doing?
3: Breaking my kerosene lamps Fuel to light a funeral pyre No, you
1: must be mad You can't mean to burn us all Not
3: all, my darling Just you and your friends I shall be leaving No, no Please don't move, or I'll shoot you. I need this lamp from the piano to light my way out and to set fire to those old dry sacks down there. The mill is all wood, dried out by years of sun and wind. It'll go up like a torch.
1: No, you're only making things just for yourself. If. <laughs>
3: I were caught. How many times could they guillotine me? <laughs> Besides, everyone will think I have been roasted to death here with you. <laughs> now, <laughs> before I go, I have a score to settle with you.
1: Must you kill everything you love?
3: What have I left to love?
1: Me? Henrik, we could still go away together. I'm rich. We could be married. I- I'd never you tell. You betrayed
3: me once. You'll betray me again. Oh. Keep away from me or I'll shoot. What are you looking at?
2: The millstone. What? It's turning. The brake. It's not holding. Let go of my arm. Grab that gun. My foot. It's caught. Ah. No. Ah. Can't
1: we do anything for him?
2: Take it easy, darling. You couldn't get within 50 yards of that blaze. Uh, When the roof went, it became one almost chimney. Don't waste any tears on him, Val. No,
1: I'm not. He deserved to die, but not the way I, I I just don't understand. How did the stones start rolling? What started them?
2: I did. When we couldn't get out that door, we had to get to you somehow. There was a window from the attic. I managed to jump from it to one of the weather vanes. When my weight hit that arm, it to die.
3: saw to that. Enfin, the mills of the gods grind slowly, but they grind exceeding fine.
0: <laughs> the inspector's words were prophetic, for the fire was never brought under control, and the old windmill burned to the ground a mass of charred cinders and ashes. Only the gigantic wheels remained, undamaged, fallen together to the ground, and embedded there, upright, standing like two great tombstones. But of the corpse they marked... One parting note you might find of interest The famous lines the inspector quoted were originally written by Friedrich von Logau. Longfellow only translated them in a poem called Retribution. And there are two more lines which are not so familiar, but in this case, very apt. Though the mills of God grind slowly, they grind exceeding small. Though with patience he stands waiting, with exactness grinds he all. Our cast included Joan Copeland, Tony Roberts, Paul Hecht, and William Redfield. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown.